0: So this week, uh, my wife and I were able to celebrate 37 years of marriage. We have not changed a bit. It's so great. We actually have changed, and we've been taking the last 37 years to try to figure out how the opposite sex actually thinks. And so that's what we've been doing for 37 years. And and if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, you will probably understand this video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and... I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Pat. if you would just don't <laughs> try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? We can ha 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 If you've never been in a relationship, you will eventually figure that out. So the understanding is important. The the belief in one another is important. The faith in one another is important. But I want to propose to you today, it is about the nail. So we've been looking at a letter written by the first century bishop of Jerusalem and also the brother of Jesus, his name is James. There has been this this huge migration of Christ followers from Jerusalem into the eastern side of the Mediterranean because of intense persecution. And to their dismay, these evacuees have discovered the very pain that they are fleeing from is awaiting them in the new places, the new homes to which they arrive. And what they're discovering is that their persecution is not necessarily geographical, but it is diabolical. For Satan himself has purpose to destroy anyone who puts their faith in Jesus that if he nailed Jesus, he will nail you. And so James writes in an effort to help them realize that the very faith that has attracted their persecution is the faith that will help them confront the nail. And so he writes these words to them and really to us James, the second chapter, the 14th verse. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? See, I look at that and I go, yes, 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 yes. There's the faith and it does save. And evidently, there is some kind of action that must be attached to this faith to make it a saving faith. But then, last week, I was reading the book of Romans and I come across this where Paul the Apostle says in Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That justification, if we need to understand that this morning, let's do, and justification simply means this, is that when I put my faith in Jesus, God makes a declaration, a justification saying that my sins have been forgiven because of Christ and what he did on the cross. The penalty for my sin has been removed because he became my substitute and I have been welcomed into the community of God, the family of God. That's justification. And he said the only qualifier to get there, according to Paul, is for me to believe. I just got to believe. So evidently, that is the only thing. And so Paul is right. I mean, who is right? Is it Paul? Is is it James? Uh, Is there action? Is there not action? Are there works? Are there not works? I'm confused. So if the Scriptures say... That if we confess that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he had risen from the grave and he has supremacy over all power, if Jesus is Lord, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. There's that saving faith. The only qualifier is I must have this belief. But then I read these words of Jesus. Jesus himself saying on John, in John 15, John records, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul is stressing in his words the root of saving grace. That which saves us is simply this, Jesus plus nothing. It is not Jesus... Plus, me giving to the poor. It is not Jesus plus me working in a leper colony. It's not Jesus plus me reading scriptures or taking communion or being baptized. It is just Jesus. What James then is drawing our attention to, is the fruit that we have after encountering the saving grace. If truly I am a Christ follower, I will bear fruit. There will be evidence, and if there is no evidence, then there is no real faith working in me. The great leaders of the Reformation used to say this, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. So the way that James asked this question, he said, can this kind of faith save you? The answer is already built in in the way he asked the question. And the answer is, no, that faith will not save you. When we believe in Jesus, we act differently. So when I was in grade school, we went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to visit my uncle who is a cattle rancher outside of Tulsa. So one day, I jumped in his old rickety pickup truck, and we headed down into the pasture to go visit the cattle and see what was going on. And as we're bumping around in the pasture, this cylinder, this thin cylinder thing rolls out from under the seat. I'd never seen one of these before, and I picked it up, and it had two little prongs at the end of the cylinder. And so I said to my uncle, I said, hey, Uncle Neil, what is that? He said, well, put your hand right there at the end. And then just push up on that thing the voltage from that cattle prod about knocked me out of my seat. He couldn't catch his breath. He laughed so hard. (laughs) Power in us makes us move. There is no lethargy in that kind of power. So when Paul said, the moment you believed in Jesus and Jesus entered into your life, the very power that catapulted him out of the grave is in you. Therefore, if that power is in you, it will be obvious. There will be evidence. Jesus got nailed. But the power in him said, I will not stay in this condition. When Satan tries to nail you, when life tries to nail you, there's power in you that must respond that says, I will not stay in this condition or even tolerate or allow this condition. Our faith is not indifferent. It is involved. To explain that to us, James then gives us an example. And so he writes these words, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, hey, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? So last week, when I was talking with you, I referred to a time that Pam and I, I was without income for six months, and and we were struggling to to make ends meet and to put food on the table with this family of four that we had at that time. And during that time, we had a friend from the church come to visit us, and we're in this condition, we've been several months in, we're just trying to make ends meet, trying to get... To get food on the table, and he shows up with his brand new camera and says, Hey, look how God has blessed me. God has given me a brand new camera. Is that not awesome? That's really awesome. The next week, he showed up with his new boat. And both times when he left, he said, And by the way, I'm praying for you. Someone translates verse 16 we've just read this way. So if one says to you, Keep up your spirits. Don't become discouraged. Someone will come to your relief. Now go away, from my personal, my, go away from my presence comforted. The question is, what is missing there? What is missing there is a genuine faith. What is missing is real food and real clothing that is a result in the action of that faith. One guy did come by our house one day, and he said, Oh, i, I got to tell you, I'm so excited. I just got a promotion. I'm in the Air, we knew he was in the Air Force. He said, I just got promoted to uh, lieutenant. I said, That's really great. Dave, that's just wonderful. He said, and I got a really good raise with that. I said, oh, that's, that's really good. And then he said, and so my wife and I have talked. And Dave and Nita said, what we want to do is the money we got for the raise, we're going to give to you so you can buy groceries until you get on your feet. Which faith is alive? Which faith is dead? Who is confronting the nail. Because whether it's our nail or somebody else's, when faith sees it, it acts. Because it is about the nail. Our faith is not isolated. It is not isolated from action. You just say, okay, faith is separate from action. It is partnered with action. You may have recently seen this commercial. I just want to show it to you by Ford. Look at this. That's just brilliant. I know. Foot-activated liftgate and great gas mileage. So much better than a foot-activated liftgate or great gas mileage. And that'd be like us going to a bed or breakfast. I'm glad we picked a bed. Like and better. Yeah. Okay, so you heard it. It's better than going to a bed or breakfast. It is bed and breakfast. And faith is not faith Or action. Faith is faith and action. There is a partnership between them, and if that partnership dissolves, faith sleeps. Because here's what James says In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. So, how many of you believe in God? It's not enough. For it to be real, for faith to live, I believe, must be tied to I act. If not, I dead. But if I alive, it becomes obvious. For our faith is not invisible. It is on display. And so James creates then this imaginary conversation and he says this. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The word show, I will show you, is actually the word to display, to exhibit, to bring to light. So I can say to John Hamilton, our beloved worship leader, I told him I was going to pick on him, but I didn't tell him what we're going to do yet. (laughs) So John Hamilton, a couple of times, and actually more a couple of times, Frequently, I will hear him either up here in rehearsal time or even when we're away on a staff retreat this week. He refers to the fact that one of his favorite songs, and maybe not his favorite, but he really likes to sing it, is Father Abraham. And he's made it very clear that one day he'll sneak it into a service, and that he just he just really likes. How many know the song Father Abraham? You, you learned that if you were you're in Sunday school at an early age. And so Father Abraham has music, it has words, and it has actions. He says him he knows them all. Show me. Sure. Can yeah. <laughs> I have some help? Can I have some help, please? <laughs> all right, or not? All right, so right arm. Okay. Right arm. Right arm. Right arm. Sing it. Dude? Just sing it, dude. All Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's, let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, sons, had sons had many said Father Abraham, and I am one of them, them. and so are you. So Abraham. let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Okay, we're good. We believe you. We believe you. We believe you. That's right. Good. So he's been confessing that he knows this, and he just showed us. So here's the question. And maybe not the question, the challenge. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, show me. It's what James says. You say, but wait, wait, wait. I'm a quiet follower of Jesus. You cannot be a quiet follower of Jesus. It's impossible. Not anymore than this place to be filled with darkness, and you have one little match and say, I'm just a little light. Let me tell you, if, you light your, if there's a light in the midst of darkness, it becomes obvious. So James' point is this. If it doesn't show, you don't have it. You say, but I believe... Faith is not intellectual, just intellectual. It is relational. So we gathered here this morning and we sang songs. We worshiped Jesus. It was a wonderful worship expression. And we declared who Jesus is. And some of you even had physical expressions of raising your hands or, or kneeling during that time. That is all just awesome. And Jesus did what he said he would do, that when we would do that, he would manifest himself. He would be in that place where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. So we say that's wonderful. In fact, James says that's good. For James says this, you believe that there is one God, good. He's he's actually expressing thanks for the fact that you've grasped hold of of Jewish orthodoxy. You've grabbed hold of the base of Jewish orthodoxy, the Shema, which simply says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We go, yes! The Lord is God, and I believe that. Is that saving faith? It won't save you. Because he goes on to say this, that even the demons believe that, and they shudder. That demonic tribes will tell you that God is real, and they will shudder. The word "shudder" is actually a Greek term meaning a rough, uneven surface. So it means this: that even the tribes of demonic powers believe that God is real, and they get goosebumps. Like, whew, what an experience! And some of you left will leave here today going, "Wow, what an experience! I got goosebumps." Even the demons get goosebumps. So, you see, this experience won't save you. That kind of faith will not save you. It's still about the nail and what we're going to do about it. See, I think some of us sit in here and, and we have said, okay, I, I belong to this church. I belong to a church. I, I, I have this faith thing. I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I was raised and Jesus is real. I know that. But your life has never changed. And if your life has never changed, James says, you got a zombie faith. It's dead. And that faith will not save you. Saving faith is proven by active obedience. Their names are Abraham and Rahab, and they are on the opposite ends of the respect scale. Abraham is moral. He's admired. He's a Jewish patriarch. Rahab is a call girl, a woman of the streets. She's disdained, and she's considered scum. And here they both are at this wonderful banquet of celebration and both being honored. And James says this, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? The word foolish here actually means to be empty of any theological or moral base. He so said, you've come with me with, to me with nothing in your hands. You've come to me saying that I believe in God, but there is no evidence of your belief in God. Absolutely no evidence. And I'm telling you, your faith is dead. He said, let me show you what a live faith looks like. And so he says, let me tell you about Rahab who had to confront her nail." The spies have entered into Jericho and she knows who they are and she says to them, I know about your Jehovah God. Now we don't know how she knows, but there must have been some revelatory process that said God's here. This is Jehovah God and he's much better than all the other gods you've been worshiping. And now she's got to deal with this nail in her life, which means this, that if she, she connects to this Jehovah God, she will lose her livelihood, which probably is the way that she supports her family. Not only that, that if she hides these spies and her neighbors find out, she will be killed and her family will be wiped out. And what is the guarantee that if she gets away with that and these Israelites invade that city, that they won't kill her? She has this fear. And yet, what she does is she says, I'm going to have to believe in this Jehovah God, and she hides the spies. And God says that was the proof of her faith. Abraham confronted his nail, and James says this, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now see, this doesn't make sense to us. Why would God ask for Abraham to sacrifice his son? You see, Abraham has a son only because God has provided the son. That son came along When Sarah, the wife, was in her early 90s, Abraham was just about age 100, and she had been barren all this time, and God says, I'm going to give you a child. He said, not only will this child just be for your enjoyment, but this child will be the beginning of a nation that will become so large you won't be able to count the numbers of people who come from this nation. And most importantly, out of this nation, the world will be blessed because the Messiah, the anointed one will come who will take this broken world and put it back together again. Well, by all means, if that is the case, then protect this kid. For the future of the world is connected to this kid. And God says, go kill the kid. Now, what do you do when you have a promise and an obedience and they're on a collision course? That there's a chance that if you obey, you you lose the promise? Well, you do what Abraham did. He got up the next day and he took his son Isaac and their entourage and they walked and they went for three days. And on the third day, he turns to his entourage and says, me and my son, we're going to go up to this mountain. We're going to worship God. And then he says this, and then when we're done, we will come back. Now, wait a minute. How can you kill him up there and bring him back here? Somewhere in this whole process, Abraham has figured out that God is going to take care of this thing. And it's all tied into, he said, we're going to go up there and worship. And worship is simply this, it's an act of trust in God's character. God said he's going to do this, and if he has to raise him from the dead, he'll do that. But he's going to do something. In fact, his son asks him on the way up to the mountain, he says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, well, God will provide Worship is just an extension of our faith. Faith sees the invisible. It believes the incredible and receives the impossible. That's worship. Trusting God when you can't see it, believing God when it's beyond natural credibility, and receiving the impossible because we trust God's character more than we trust His plan. The day will come, if you've not arrived there yet, That day will come this moment where you have this promise from God and his obedience seems to wipe that out. And what you're going to have to say is, I trust his character and because I trust his character, I will act on what he has told me to do. And I will trust that he will take care of me because I trust his character. Action acts upon who or what it trusts. So Abraham takes the knife, and as he begins to plunge it into his son, he was going to do it. God stops him and says, here's your sacrifice. You say, well, what was that all about? Genesis 22 tells us this. God says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham feared God more than he feared his loss. Because that was his nail, the loss. He'd already tried to create this this kid in a way that God didn't want him created and created a mess that we see even today. And now he finally has this kid and now he's afraid of this loss. What will he do? But he fears God more. See, fearing God is saying to God I fear what life will be like if I'm not connected to you. I fear what life's going to be like if I try to make my own decisions based upon what I think. I fear that hell will break loose if you're not surrounding me. This is what I fear. I need to be with you and you'll take care of the rest of this. And if I think I'm going to lose something, I still have you and that's everything that I need. I fear you. When you do that, you can confront your nail. Faith confronts the nail, and God says in response, your faith is alive. That's why James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So here we are. Life's trying to nail us, and we say we believe. And James says, show me. The hard fact is this, if we say that we are Jesus followers, that we're believers in Jesus, and have no change in our lifestyle, then we haven't confronted the nail, and the power that catapulted Jesus from the grave is not alive in us. It is about the nail. So what are you going to do with it? When I say it's the nail, you, you, you know. So here's my challenge for you. figure out what Jesus says about the nail. Chances are you already know what Jesus says about that thing you're dealing with. And if you don't know, his scriptures are pretty clear or we can sit with you and talk with you all the way through and say, here's how Jesus views this nail. What are you going to do about your fear or about your selfishness or about your obsessiveness about that sin thing? What are you going to do with that? That nail. So you, you read through, or you hear Jesus say, here's what you should do with this. So now the question is, what are you going to do with what you know? And my encouragement to you is sit with Jesus. How do you do that? Get someplace private and just say, Jesus, here's my nail, and here's what you say about the nail. And now I need, I, I've got to wrestle with this thing, but I'm going to tell you. And you stay with him until you get to the spot. You say, I'm going to trust your character more than I'm going to trust my plan. And so I'm, I'm going to, we sang about it today, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to trust your character. It may be new for you because you, you've always had control. And you say, okay, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. And then you just say, what's my first step? What's my next move? Because I'm going to tell you that if you begin the journey to do what he wants to do, to confront the nail in his manner, if you will do that, I'm going to guarantee this, if you take the first step, it will unleash the very power that raised Christ from the grave into your life. And he will get you through that first step. Because some of you are sitting here today, and you haven't had a life change in a long time. And and Paul wrote this, he said, as we travel with Jesus as journey, we're being changed from glory to ever-increasing glory, meaning that that there's always this change happening. He's always confronting the nail, and, and we're getting it taken care of. We just want to sit in the service and go, oh, it's not about the nail. I just want you to listen, God. I just want you to listen and understand me. He understands you. He has listened. And he says, now we got to get that thing out. You say, but I've tried a bunch of times. If it's not out, he's not done. And it's time for you not to just sit there and take it as your identity. Some of you have taken your pain and it has now become your identity. And what God wants your identity to be is his holiness, which simply means he takes that which is out of shape, that which is broken, that which is disjointed and puts it back together again so it reflects his wholeness and his healthiness. He wants to change you. But it's going to take you saying, I will obey. so we conclude with this today I'm going to ask the elders that are with us this morning and and uh, the council and their spouses and any staff that are, are available at the end to come and just stand down here in the front would you do that and come to the edge here and face out In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to say to you that want the power, of, the power that raised Jesus from the grave to be released in you so that you can overcome the nail. That you come and you just ask one of these folks to pray over you and agree with you that the power is going to be released into your life and this is a new beginning for you. Because that's what God wants. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at your failures. He's just saddened that you're not taking hold of what he has for you. And today's your day. Today's for your faith to become alive. So will you stand? And after I pray for you, if you're going to leave, do it quietly, and if you're going to visit, do it out in the back. That would be great. Leaving this place for the sacredness of what God's going to do here. And without hesitation, come. And you, may, you just may want to be real and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Pray with me about this. Or if it just hurts too bad to even say it out loud, just say, I'm dealing with an issue. Please pray that I overcome this thing. So now, I prayer for you is this. May you walk in enlarged faith. May you have now a confidence in the power within you. And may you find great joy in obedience. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Would you just come and we'll continue praying until everyone has had a chance to be prayed for. If you're leaving, please do it quietly. God bless you. Have a great day.